I'll just let you guys know, I'll, I'll mention this again later, but that I'm starting a new group in Berkeley for the people in the East Bay the fourth Tuesday of each month at the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. There are little flyers back on the, my book table. Um, so, when do we say seven? Yeah, seven to eight thirty on the fourth. So, the, the first meeting will be April twenty eighth. Um, if you're familiar with James Barris's class, it's in that same monastery, which I'm very pleased about, as I live in the East Bay and uh, I've been wanting to have a place to teach this for a long time, and um, I don't like having to charge people, uh, like if I were renting a space and I had, you know, so uh, the monastery offers uh, the space uh, free of charge, and uh, so it'll be just a donation class, so you can just, people can give me more money that way, which is really what it's all about. No, but it's, uh, uh, you know, that really is the Buddhist tradition, and, and it, it just makes sense anyway, and so I'm, I'm pleased about that. And, and um, you know, the East Bay doesn't really have a, uh, there's the, um, I guess there's the East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, but like, there's no, they don't have a regular recovery group there. And I mean, I know there are a couple of Buddhist recovery groups over there. But anyway, this will be mine. And I will share it with others as well. Um, and uh, I've probably mentioned the uh, retreat at Cloud Mountain that's in May. A five-day retreat from May 8th to the 13th. Starts on a Friday. That's, for some reason, they like to start their retreats on Fridays. So Friday to Wednesday. Uh, so that's something uh, if you're interested in sitting and doing more of an intensive experience of this practice it'd be lovely to have you it's actually filling up Cloud Mountain is in southern Washington you, you fly into Portland and get a shuttle up there beautiful place in the in the redwoods it's um, I've gone on a lot of retreats there. I've never taught there before, so I'm really happy to be invited. It's a uh, devoted Dharma center. It's, you know, very um, just committed to Dharma and Buddhism. They have a lot of great teachers there. Um, so, uh, you know, I was considering maybe having a longer sitting tonight. I don't know if that will just bother people more or not. I know because probably for a lot of people, 30 minutes already seems like a long time. Um, so we'll see. I'll ring the bell when we're done. There's one vote for. This isn't a democracy, though. You have to realize that. It's a theocracy. What'd you say? But you should speak only for yourself, don't you think? I mean, do you know? Well, I'm one of us. I know, but... <laughs> okay, it won't bother me. Okay, thank you. I think that's a more accurate okay. statement. Yes. 
I don't mean to criticize, but I am going to talk about right. Yeah. What'd you say? I missed the last two groups. I don't know if I'm ready. Right. So there you go. It uh, yeah. It's you just go by the one breath at a time philosophy. Time is relative. And what else? What other spiritual aphorisms can I toss out there? All right, so let us begin to settle into a comfortable posture. But sitting upright and trying to sit in a way that your body can be very stable so you don't have to move. So we're kind of trying to find that balance between being uh, comfortable without sort of getting drowsy. That's, that's one of the risks of lying down, which we discovered here last Friday night, for the people who were here. We had a snorer. Usually they snap out of it at some point, but that person was persistent in their snoring. There were some people from a treatment center. Apparently they're not letting them sleep at the treatment center. Okay, then. Gently closing your eyes. And settling into the body. Sometimes it takes a little while for us to even sense that we've arrived, that we've stopped moving. When our bodies are moving through space rapidly as they do in our vehicles. I think there's a way in which the body can still feel as if it's moving. A kind of momentum and forward thrust. So we arrive. And relaxing the body. And we can go through the body part by part, releasing tension from head to toe. So relaxing the jaw, the small muscles around the eyes, the forehead. Relaxing the shoulders, the arms and hands, 
softening the belly. Letting the chest be very open and receptive. Giving the breath plenty of space in the chest and belly. Relaxing through the hips and pelvis. The legs. The feet. Now just feeling the body sitting. The weight of the body, the density, the energy of the body, all the sensations, movement, pulsing, streams of energy, the nervous system, alive. Feeling the mood and emotions as they manifest in the body. Being open to that other form of energy, that emotional energy. Letting that come through, being just fearless. as you allow yourself to feel. And being open as well to sounds. Sounds in the room, sounds in your body your ears. You might hear the sound of your own breath or your heartbeat. The sound in our ears is sometimes called the sound of silence. the sound of the nervous system firing.
and coming to the breath. We use the breath at the nostrils or the belly as our concentration object. We try to maintain continuous awareness of the breath. But much of the time we may find that continuity interrupted as we drift off into thoughts, find ourselves struggling with some sensation or mood, distracted by a sound. So we keep coming back to the breath, just exploring the sensations at the nostrils, when the air comes in and out, or feeling the sensations of the belly rising and falling. We're not trying to demonize thought or suppress thought. Certainly this practice inclines towards a gradual quieting of the mind. But we don't really make that happen or control that through our own willpower. Rather, we try to just engage the process, connecting with the breath, the openness to the other experiences of life, of the body and sounds and mood. Just a sense of acceptance and curiosity, investigation. If we start to grade ourselves or critique our meditation, we just create another 
level of thought, of struggle, that really doesn't help. It's irrelevant to the process. Our effort is more balanced. A relaxed attention. And this means that observing the things that grasp our attention, that take us away, is also part of the process, a valuable part of this process, a source of information. Where does my mind and to go. What is it that interrupts my attention? There are several things that we track as we sit. Most obvious is where is the attention? Am I with the breath or somewhere else? And we also want to track the quality of our effort. Are we striving? Too much, creating attention, or are we at the other end of the spectrum, just hanging out, letting the mind just 
daydream. We want to find that sweet spot. Effortless effort, sometimes called. Then a third thing that we track is just our energy. Because as we settle, there's often a tendency to get sleepy, to get dull. It's one of the reasons we sit up straight and maintain a strong posture. As the concentration deepens, sometimes sleepiness arises with it. And on the other hand, sometimes we go to the opposite end of that spectrum, into restlessness, finding ourselves struggling to be still, waiting for the bell, anxious, worried. So we want to work with these forms of energy. If we're sleepy, we try to sit up a little straighter, perhaps open the eyes, take a deeper breath. Let's try to arouse a little more energy. If we're restless, then we try to relax a bit, really just allow whatever is coming up to, to be there. Often the restlessness is a desire to avoid some experience, whether it's a sensation in the body or a feeling or thought. So if we can open and allow that, just feel that, that discomfort. And it gives space that we're not so claustrophobic. There isn't that sense of being tied down.
One of the things I'd suggested that you read for this week was the piece on pain, working with pain in the in the workbook. And um, you know, when we sit for longer periods of time, that often can cause either you know some physical discomfort or mental discomfort, and you know, it's kind of a way of intentionally bringing up things to work with, which um, is is part of the practice. You know, it's it's um, you know certainly you know we don't meditate in order to create discomfort or to create suffering in ourselves. Certainly, our ultimate goal is to relieve that, but but uh, the practice also teaches us that that maintaining some equanimity or some sort of mental balance around difficult experiences is a you know a key element of really maintaining just stability in our lives and of course in recovery uh, that's equally if not more true uh, that we want to Develop a you know less less resistance uh, to the to pain whatever whatever form it takes and you know that's that's something uh, pretty evident about addiction that it is a um, an attempt to kind of maintain our comfort level all the time and. And that's really not workable in life. So, you know, so what do we do? Um, and it's easy, too, for, for a spiritual path to kind of be a smiley face thing, you know, and I see a lot of that, uh, especially kind of online, you know, uh, sort of the idea that you know, we're all, we're all meditating and so naturally we're all happy. You know, you rarely see a picture of a, a frowning Dharma teacher, you know. And it's kind of the message, you know, well, I'm enlightened and so I'm happy. So, I ha- this is my new book here. It's coming out in June. I'm not frowning, but I'm not showing any teeth. Well, I don't know. I rarely show teeth when I smile, but... I, I have my ironic smile there, so anyway. Um, and then, you know, the, the irony of practice is that, you know, it's that old, you, 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 um, you have to go through to get to the other side. And so when we, when we stick it out, when we sit for longer periods, we actually find that uh, we, that's when we start to have breakthroughs into deeper states of calm and, and more clarity. This is why people are sitting up the hill for two months. I can tell they're starting to get restless, though, because uh, I don't, you guys came a little later than me, but when I came in, or a lot of people were taking walks down the road, you know, after dinner. I think I'll go for a walk. Got to get out of here. Anyway. 
So, um, any thoughts or questions up for people? Yeah. One thing I've noticed is that in a lot of Buddhism, there's this emphasis on um, controlling or letting go of desire, but not as much in terms of letting go of aversion. Wondering about that kind of asymmetry. I'm not sure where you where you get that impression. That's certainly not my impression. Um, no, I think it's uh, they're equal. Uh, they're of equal importance to, as you say, let go of. Because, um, you know, they're essentially, they are the same thing. They just have different tones to them, you know, because aversion is just the desire to get rid of, you know, or for things to be different from how they are, you know, to not have the unpleasant thing. So it's just a different form. So you can really call it another, you know, desire really encompasses both. And, and aversion, too, is, you know, you can say it's just, uh, I mean, or desire, what am I saying? Uh, desire contains aversion in the sense that it's a wish, it's a wish to feel something different from what I'm feeling. So it, they're both kind of, you know, I want, I, either I want more or I want less, it's, but it's wanting. Yeah. No, but I think there's plenty of uh, writing on the topic of, uh, of aversion. I mean, the Buddha talks about hatred, you know, a lot. Uh, Where this came up for me was... Um, doing the hindrance meditation and trying to let go of these hindrances, what felt like that was kind of the subversive behavior towards these hindrances. I shouldn't be mm-hmm. having these hindrances right. before I'm going to do this antidote. Yeah, good. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the risks of this process is that um, the 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 challenge is to um, find the effort that isn't an expression of desire or aversion. That's a, I, I think it was actually sort of more organic or sort of a flowing effort. It's, it's, so it's driven not by craving or aversion, but by the strength of your intention. So this is a very subtle difference, but it's a vital one. And it's another one of the things I mentioned during that sitting about different things we want to track. And this is one of the things that you want to track. And that when I said, you know, track the quality of your, of your effort, that's what I'm talking about. It's like we want to be guided by and motivated by right intention, which is is a form of desire, but it's a skillful form of desire. It's not a 
grasping for pleasure, grasping for ego satisfaction. It's a longing for true happiness, for true freedom, for true peace, which is informed by our understanding that those things aren't going to come by acquiring things or by controlling. And yet, you know, I mean, this is the, there are all these paradoxes built in. So uh, there's one sutta in which the Buddha says, if you do this practice and take it to, to its uh, logical conclusion, I guess I'll say, or really, when your practice comes to fruition, you'll become the master of the courses of thought. So in that, somebody who's master of the course of thought, there's control. But again, it's not ego control. You know? And this is what we start to be able to distinguish. And these are subtle, subtle differences. But as you get deeper into practice, you start to be able to discern these differences. So the first thing, you have to experience an egoless effort. And that takes a while to get to that place. You have to a lot of, make a lot of ego effort before you get to the place where there's enough letting go, where you kind of, and enough just building up of momentum and practice till the kind of selfing falls away and you just kind of enter into this more natural just being aware. And you can, you're sitting and you can feel that there's still an effort, but it's like you said, it's not like, eh, it's kind of a fluid effort. And, you know, I, I like associate this with, as I talk about, uh, with um, world-class athletes. When they get to a point where they're not efforting, they're trying to actually just be totally present and let their bodies do what their bodies are trained to do. And... That's the same thing we're trying to do with our minds, is train our minds to the point where we don't have to do anything to make them be present and make them be peaceful, that we've trained them to do that. And then it just, so maybe there's a warm-up, you know, there's pre-game, and you know, you're sitting for a while, and, but you've, you've built up that strength and that capacity, and then in your mind sort of knows how to go there. And like an athlete, you have your good days, your bad days, but basically you're, you know, you're trained. And if you stop training for a while, you know, you, you lose it. And fortunately, you know, for meditators, we start getting better after 40. That's the one difference between us and athletes. Did you have something? Yes, um, but it's kind of a, just my personal practice, but... Recently, I've been um, about two thirds into meditation, twenty or thirty minutes. I uh, I pop awake where my eyes I feel startled, mm -hmm. and my eyes uh, just um, my eyes are just everything is very very uh, awake, aware. Not it happens all of a sudden though. Like it's not a, you're, are you nodding a little bit beforehand? Are no. you getting dull beforehand? No, it's just like this. Is there a physical, when you say startle, that sounds like there's a physical energy uh, to it. It's a sort of a physical Energetic. sharpness. Yeah. Um, but not in, my, not in my consciousness. I, I usually, 
um, lower my eyes again, but tonight I just stayed open. So your eyes pop open? My eyes just pop open. Uh -huh. Unconsciously, without effort. Mm -hmm. it, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I can't exactly identify what you're describing, so I'll put it under the more general, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff happens, yeah. you know, and and the practice is to, and really this is a more more useful principle than trying to diagnose a particular thing that happens. The principle that, you know, mindfulness is about just maintaining awareness through whatever arises. And that, yeah, all kinds of things can and do happen in practice. The, the more we do it and the longer we, you know, the more sustained time we've practiced. It hmm. happens every other city or so. so it's a thing, it's an energetic thing that's happening. It's easier to keep track of breath, though, for some reason, even okay. though I'm more externalized uh -huh. my attention. It's easier to keep track of breath for some reason. You know, it's... One of the things I, you know, I've been read about a couple times in the last couple of years is the idea that change isn't gradual, that that people think that everything is kind of like gradual, you know, well, you know, like climate change or something like that. Oh, it's just going to gradually go. But that actually a lot of things change suddenly, that there's kind of a buildup, like more like earthquakes, right? It's like we know like there's, you know, all this shifting happening and then the, you know, the sudden things. And that definitely happens with meditation practice. They call it, you know, the, um, the gradual path and sudden awakening. So uh, it's, it's uh, that can, there can be that, there can be these sort of sudden shifts, just as you're describing, within a sitting period where it's sort of like you sort of suddenly drop or some energy suddenly happens. And, and uh, so, you know, really just, I would really recommend that you, <coughs> excuse me, that you try to really keep your awareness very open to what what's going on. Like, you know, what what are the sensations in my body right now? How is my mind shifting? What, you know, just see if you can really feel what's going on and stay really with that, like hold on to it in a way. I don't mean like, it, you know, grasp it, but, but kind of let it really be there. Let yourself fully feel this. And don't dismiss it, you know, like, oh, well, that was interesting. It's over. But rather like, well, okay, what am I, what is this? Where do I... You know, really let it fully manifest. Thank you. Yeah. And then if it makes you crazy, stop. Okay. Stop paying attention to it. You always want to keep that, like, you know, protection there. So uh, let's just take a, a short break, and uh, we'll come back and do some more work around the steps.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.